I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. Today, we're going to be discussing an article I wrote called The Leftovers, and I'm here with none other than, drumroll please, Leslie Ray. Hello, everyone. And Mr. Dave Pernas. Hello. We're going to start this out with saying, uh, this was a difficult article to write, and it might have been a difficult article to read, and you can tell me that in a minute, uh, but the reason being is I usually try to think throughout the week of something that I'm talking about with clients or something that would be relevant to discuss, and this topic is near and dear to me, and we'll go into the depths of it, but it was very hard to articulate it within, I would call, a thousand words. That's my goal, to try to write about these in a thousand words, and what I've noticed recently is I talked to a lot of folks that have either a surplus in income, meaning that they make a lot more than their expenses, and there creates a difficulty on what they actually are going to do with that. And then I have another group of people that have saved a lot throughout their lifetime, and they have more than they would actually need. And then they have a more difficult decision on what do you do with that surplus. So in this article, I wanted to talk about this idea of surpluses, which I don't hear a lot in financial blogs or uh, conversations, but I think it's extremely relevant to the clients that I talk to. I opened up the discussion with uh, some stories of my childhood, uh, where my dad had a hard and fast rule that whatever is on your plate, you eat all that food. Where that rule comes from is uh, he grew up uh, one of six kids. Uh, My grandmother was a single mom. She worked full time, so they didn't have a lot. Uh, They lived uh, a deficit, not a surplus. And uh, they tell me a story of going into the cupboard one time where there was one can of food left, and it had no label. And my dad, the eldest, grabbed the can opener. He opens it up, and it was a can of garbanzo beans. So he smashed them up and made little garbanzo bean pancakes, and all the kids ate them, and they were content, uh, and they were appreciative for what they had. So that opened me up into a conversation that some of us have experienced uh, part of a lifestyle of deficit and others surplus. We happen to be blessed where we manage people's wealth. So most of the people we talk to have a surplus. Um, And I want to discuss today how a surplus on the income statement looks a lot different than a surplus on the balance sheet. So Leslie, you read through this article. What were kind of some of your first thoughts or what resonated with you or maybe some challenging questions that you might have for me? So touch on your first point as far as challenging to uh, how it's challenging to write this article. I thought it was interesting and it's a sort of follow-up article to our previous uh, conversation, the previous articles you wrote on budgeting and managing your expenses and your cash flow, because that's step one. And this is more of step two, once you're aware of how much you spend, what you need for your living expenses, and you have that surplus, you need to allocate it in some sort. So I actually love this conversation more of people that have a surplus in their balance sheet. And um, we need to figure out what are going to do with that. I, I like helping people think through these questions. and can bring interesting conversations. Um, but to me, the rule is to allocate everything as far as your incomes and expenses. Everything needs to be allocated. Otherwise, you run into or you could run into what Daya and I were discussing earlier this week, the lifestyle creep where you don't know where the money is going, but it's going somewhere as you get more it's going somewhere else too. And if you don't keep track of it, um, your lifestyle keep increasing uh, that you want it or not. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. We were just talking about this and how people think about money and how some people are more prone to invest and save and people are more you know, prone to consume. And I think there is a bit of a, a paradox of choice when you have a surplus of money where maybe if you're, you're in a deficit, you don't have many choices. And uh, you know, oftentimes, maybe you have one or two and uh, you know, there's there's a lesser two evils, or uh, you know, it kind of really restricts what your uh, what your path forward looks like. But when you have a lot of choices, uh, you're, ma- you're it's easier for you to make mistakes uh, if you don't have a plan and you, you don't have the right strategy in place. And that's not always to say that you know every single dollar needs to have a a plan. I mean, there can still be some. You can plan for spontaneity, and you can have a portion of. Uh, your income surplus or your uh, balance sheet surplus uh, go towards uh, whatever discretionary spending. So we're, you know, I neither Trevor nor Leslie are advocating that anybody lives a monastic lifestyle. Uh, but I think some of the challenges is getting people to think about their money in the right terms, and um, it's really, really personal. I think to each person, and I, I want to know uh, maybe uh, Trevor can talk about it, how you really get to understand the client. And what if they say, look, we don't really know what to do. Do, do you then uh, try to take them through their interests and direct them that, hey, maybe you should think about more charitable giving or maybe you should buy that extra home or uh, uh, maybe, you know, set aside X for uh, something entirely different. Uh, so how, how do you, maybe, maybe you can talk about how you uh, at, are able to ask the right questions. Yeah, that's a good question. I think we'll separate this conversation into two parts and this idea of the difference between surplus on an income statement and surplus on a balance sheet. Mm. The question you're asking me, Dea, is uh, what do you do when somebody does have a surplus on their balance sheet? And in the article, I mentioned uh, a popular phone manufacturer that has a whole lot of cash on their balance sheet. And uh, the analysts in Wall Street have a lot of pressure to them to say, hey, what are you going to do with that extra cash? (laughs) So kind of the same question that you're asking, people are asking them that question because there's a responsibility there. And now let me speak to this fact that I do talk to a lot of people that have a surplus on their balance sheet. And like Dea said, they don't know what they want to do with it. So that's where my conversation starts with dream big. And you kind of just pull on the thread, uh, I don't know, I guess like a psychologist or whatever you'd fill in the blank with to say, hey, what are some things that you've dreamed about that you maybe never thought could be possible? Hmm. And as you go down that path, it's not Trevor's opinion or Trevor leading the witness or pushing somebody where to go. It's me on a scavenger hunt through their own aspirations to try to help them collect their thoughts. And I can use an easy example. I just walked into your office, Dea, and uh, we saw on the wall, um, mm. what would we call it, a Scottish bull? I don't know what the, the, the proper mm. term was for it, uh, but Dea has this big picture on his wall. And I was mentioning that one of my clients is going to be buying two of these uh, uh, pieces of cattle, whatever, whatever word we want to call them. And if I think about that client specifically, that client has a surplus on his balance sheet, um, and he's a widow. And uh, I knew his wife. She was a client of mine. Uh, this gentleman is near and dear to my heart. Um, they have a son uh, that is in his teenage years. And his the dad's thinking about, hey, what do I want to do next? Like, my son's going to go to college sometime. And, um, you know, I work in Manhattan and all these different things. We went through this thought exercise. Uh, and he decided it would be really fun to buy a second home out in the middle of nowhere. Somewhere that technology could be put away, they could go fishing, they could ride motorcycles, they could do these things. So we started the planning. 
Mm. We looked at the financing uh, on how to do it via a mortgage because it was an efficient way to do it with his balance sheet and the liquidity. And he bought the house. And he told me a story recently of where um, they're going to get certified to do some beekeeping. And how uh, he bought a new truck um, that they're going to use on kind of their ranch and showed me these pictures of these – Again, my our listeners will get mad at me, but Scottish bulls or whatever you call them, that he's going to be buying on this property uh, because it reminds him of home. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is a great example of surplus. And when him and I are exchanging text messages, I'm always saying, like, this is so awesome because you're just producing memories, right? Um, it, Leslie always says that money is a tool or a resource. And what I see is that he's maximizing this tool and resource to build some crazy, amazing memories that are absolutely reasonable within his financial plan. Sometimes that could be scary to do on your own, but when you have a a personal CFO, as we like to call ourselves, sitting next to you and saying, that's absolutely possible, that's absolutely feasible, now let's go do it. Figure out that house you like, find the truck that you want, uh, go to the certification for the beekeeper, and then just think about all the photos that they're going to have and all the camaraderie and all the things. Like he told me his son's going to learn how to ride a dirt bike on mm. that property. To me, that's way cooler than anything else I can do on the financial calculator. I agree. I think it's a good reminder of uh, we help people achieve their goals and it's their goals, it's not our goals. So our thoughts and what we think we would do with our own money is very different than what other clients would do with their own money. And our role is to maximize their resources to achieve their goals. And so the question is, what are their goals? And when we get there, it's, uh, it's pretty powerful to see them um, uh, achieve all of those and, and be happy. Yeah, it's, and it's, uh, it's interesting because I think that it's uh – uh, oftentimes we have uh, we have a lot of clients that have been very aggressive savers throughout their whole lifetime, and th- you know they've done a great job saving, investing, and then it comes time where you know they have a significant amount of money, but they still feel uncomfortable spending it. You know, even if it's like, hey, this is a completely reasonable expense and is less than a percent of your portfolio. There's there's still uh, that apprehension, uh, and I think just having just more and more and more helps with their peace of mind. And I think it helps so much to have somebody like a Trevor or Leslie say, "Look, we have a plan in place, and uh, it's uh, this. Th- if we lot this to this expense, it's co- it's completely reasonable, and you're going to be totally fine." Um, and I I know you had uh, juxtaposed the client side of things to the corporate side of things, and corporations tend to be a lot more rational than individuals. So I think it's a good example to say that, look, here's another entity uh, that can be an example of how you think about your wealth. Uh, you, but but there are should some differences there. Obviously, corporations, uh, you know, are, have indefinite lifespans. And, um, and, and, you know, obviously, groups of people making decisions is, is a bit different than you make you making decisions. And they can borrow significant amounts and so on, but it is a good example to see that hey, maybe there's a there's an opportunity here to use more debt. Uh, you know, there's an opportunity to uh, to do more things with your money on, uh, uh, you know, on the investment side of things, uh, investing in your own, like you were saying, if if you have, uh, and maybe we can jump into the income side of things after this, uh, where you you were talking about investing in your education, uh, investing in yourself in order to produce maybe a, a higher level of income, so. That you have uh, a pretty healthy balance sheet down the road, uh, but I, I do th- I do like the uh, 
how you position those two things. And I, and I do think it's extremely helpful, no matter how much money somebody has, to have somebody like a personal CFO uh, you know, creating that planning process for them. Yeah, I think you touched on uh, this idea when we're talking about a surplus on the balance sheet. What makes that really difficult to figure out is there's not an easy measuring stick for enough. So sometimes people yeah. that you say have challenge uh, spending, uh, we, we're very familiar with this, this quote or this adage that bad habits are hard to break. Mm. Good habits are hard to break too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you mm-hmm. have a habit of, of only spending X amount and you've built this glut or surplus in, in your balance sheet – and you have, I don't know, a charitable heart, and you've always had a desire to share, but you don't know if it's wise to share, um, that's where you have to figure out how to calculate enough. And we use some back-of-the-napkin numbers here and kind of figure out ways to see um, where you currently stand. But if we transition the conversation to surplus on the income statement, it's actually really different. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the problem that this poses for a lot of people is uh, – I don't know. Let's say folks in their late 30s or uh, 40s and 50s are in their peak earning years. Uh, all of a sudden, they might have wages or business distributions or if they you know, have rental property, they might have an income source that's greater than they could have imagined in the past. And like Leslie spoke to is that when it comes into the checking account, all of a sudden they're like, yeesh. What should I do with this? Mm. Now, um, here's a fun little fact for you. We'll, we'll, we'll go on a tangent for a second. Uh, we have an advisor here at the office, Mr. Drew Dill. And what you might not know is that his grandfather was actually one of my favorite professors mm. at Biola University. Mm. He was my accounting professor. And what I remember that his grandfather, who's no longer with us, so rest in peace, um, but uh, he taught us this idea that credits and debits have to balance. Right. And it goes along with what Leslie's saying is that when money comes in the door, if you want to be prudent with it, you should be assigning it places. Otherwise, that that uh, surplus or that glut in your checking account becomes really confusing because the question, can you afford it, becomes a really dangerous question because you probably can't afford it. Mm. But it's kind of what you've talked about before, Dea, is that there's this tension between satisfying current self versus the, I don't know, the liability or the pressure you put on future self. So I'm not immune to that, uh, which is exactly why when when money comes in the door for our family, Nicole and I have an agreed upon like list of priorities, like our kids' college, our retirement, our future uh, health expenses, our charitable giving. And we actually have accounts that are earmarked for those things to do it in a very tax-efficient manner. And we start to allocate there first. And what ends up happening after you do all those allocations, there is some leftover money. Mm. And it's nice to have that slush fund, like you said, uh, Dad, so that you're not like um, uh, living on bread and water (laughs) and uh, just not uh, maximizing the enjoyment of life. But then when you have that slush of what's quote-unquote left over, it's fun to just say, hey, what's something crazy and spontaneous that we could do with this money? And guess what? Our financial plan actually encourages us to do so. Yeah, it's a, it's a very powerful thing to have organization. And that starts with knowing your expenses, but also your goals. What are your short-term and long-term goals, kind of things you want to do. And this is why it's important to work with an advisor because we can see – Okay, are your big goals such as retirement, um, having an emergency fund, taking care of family, all of that, are those satisfied? Are you on track? And then once you're there, then you have extra cash that you can 
have play money, you can go to the casino or whatever you want. Or buy new sneakers like <laughs> that. That resonates with somebody. <laughs> go to the casino for day. I buy new shoes for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I think just so our listeners know, um, I didn't pick this topic random. Like I have a lot of friends that make really good money and they're really, really smart people. But if they don't press into the planning, I know this from experience. I know what they do. They buy toys. They buy a new truck. They buy a new dirt bike. They put in a pool at their house. They buy bigger homes. They do these things because it's not easy to do that mental math of figuring out, hey, if I want, quote, unquote, financial freedom and not to have to live off of wages or business distributions, how much money do I have to have? And that's what we started that conversation about saying, again, not a perfect science, but if your balance sheet builds up to be 25 times the size of your expenses, you're probably pretty close to getting to a place of financial freedom. And again, you can't you can't promote any back-of-the-napkin math because there is nuances and variables. And Leslie, the financial planner, has her <laughs> eyes wide open, shaking her head at me right now. But uh, the point I'm making is it, it's at least a starting point for people to start measuring and kind of seeing where things are at. But I know a lot of people that make really, really good income where their balance sheets don't reflect where they should actually be. And I don't like to put that burden on somebody, but I know that you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, again, I, I'm yeah, not a big sure. proponent of regret, but they, they, they would have wished that they might have allocated a little bit differently and balanced this idea of uh, current joy versus uh, future set aside. Sure. Do you think most uh, people are how they think about money is more uh, in the, cons- the in your circle, more in the consumption sense versus the savings and investment? Uh, because we we're surrounded by clients, you know, uh, obviously wealthy clients here and I feel like generally most of them are pretty good at uh, saving and investing and uh, obviously it's not a representative sample of, you know, the rest of the population that makes good income or even has a healthy balance sheet. So yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Most of the people I surround myself are right in their mid 30s or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say I am in a community of people that run businesses and make really good income. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're really smart people. Uh, they're very charitably minded and they're very prudent with their money. But most of them are not great capital allocators. Most of them are not good at figuring out what do I do with this surplus. And it's not a criticism. It's just not intuitive. How can you be, be prudent with your money but uh, but be a bad capital ad- allocator? What do you mean by that? That's a good question. So what I mean by that is that uh, they don't have excessive liabilities. They're okay. not living beyond. So this is one thing I mentioned in the article, and I, I don't know if it was the right way to say it or if it even resonated with you guys. But asking that question, can I afford this, is a very dangerous mm-hmm. question because that question for most of them, they – I don't know. They technically can afford it. It's, right? Yes, it's, they can afford it. Yeah, they, mm. they haven't used up everything in their, their cash flow. They're allocating all of their money on an annual basis to cover their lifestyle and living expenses. And there's a little bit left over and they get set aside in a savings account, which is more than enough for emergency savings, right? Like that rule of thumb of six to 12 months or three to six months, mm-hmm. whatever it is. So they've checked all those boxes. They're just not maximizing their future preparedness. Mm. And and maybe that doesn't matter. Uh, Maybe your question is saying, hey, uh, you know, different strokes for different folks. I I don't know, but I do think that when you're younger, you get this benefit of time 
which is a huge variable in the compounding equation. Yes. Mm. So it becomes a little bit of a steeper hill to climb when you decide to start later, in my opinion. What are your thoughts, Dea? Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, uh, it's, it's difficult to think about, you know, the next 20 years and how I'm going to be positioned. It's just so far away from for some people that it's, like you said, it's not intuitive. And uh, I'm not sure what exact what conversations you have to have with them to get them to realize that. Uh, but yeah, I do assume that if these you know these smart people continue on the path they're on, there'll probably be some regret down the line that they they didn't allow for that compounding miracle to to happen in their in their favor more aggressively. I can say I I spoke with a lot of clients in my days and. The advice I, I received from older folks is I wish I had started earlier mm. savings in the market for compound interest and because it's easier, you have to save less that way. Um, and I think it's an issue of short-term goals versus long-term goals. So people have their short-term goals really defined. They know what they want to do, put a pool, um, buy a new car. But long-term, it's hard to see yourself in 20 years, like they have said. And I think people are not very clear about those long-term goals or what needs to happen to cover those potential goals. So therefore, they don't allocate capital to it because they are not really well-defined. So mm -hmm. it's a balance between them. I see it that way. Yeah, it's not diving into planning very much, which mm -hmm. means that it's like out of sight, out of mind. So I, I guess the argument that I'd be making is that it's very hard to kind of create this blanket financial goal that everybody should have. And there isn't one. But we can use like an easy one just as a reference point of saying like financial freedom. And we might define financial freedom as this idea of not needing wages Right. Um, some people talk about it, the difference between capital and labor or however you want to define it. But all these people that I can think of and come to mind, they all have living expenses and they cover those living expenses from uh, the sweat of their brow. So if at some point they don't want to cover it by labor and they want to cover it by capital, they have to build capital up. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is a conscious decision. And that does take some level of planning. And I kind of go back to that original thing I said. It's because what ends up happening is that you get this really big amount in your checking account, more money than you would have ever imagined that you had. And you're like, oh, like, ah, what do, what do I do with this? And that is not a popular space to have a financial advisor, right? Uh, most people uh, that are resourcing financial advisors are in their 50s or 60s mm. or retired. Yeah. Like in that accumulation phase, there's not a lot of people knocking on your door saying, I want to give you good fiduciary financial advice. Right. Right, yeah, it's uh, underserved in a lot in a lot of ways. Do you do you also think it's that not you know putting more money aside earlier is uh, not being able to assess risks properly in their own life and what might be able to go wrong in, in the future and uh, just maybe things have just been going great for a while and there's no reason to assume that they're not going to continue going great. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is the right term for it. You'll correct me, but I think it's almost that idea of recency bias is that mm. whatever is happening currently, yeah. I should just, in my mind, project that out over the next 20 or 30 years, and that's the norm. And for some people, COVID has that impact, right? That it's like reframed this norm that things are never going to be like they used to be, right? Mm. But I will tell you that's not true because I sat in traffic this week. <laughs> I haven't sat in traffic in a year. 
uh, and I've been driving back and forth to the office for the next last 11 months since we've been here, there's traffic now. Yeah. So uh, yeah. it's starting to get back to the way that things used to be. But some people might have argued six months ago that uh, traffic is dead. It's never going to happen again because yeah. mm-hmm. everybody's going to stay at home or everybody's going to move out of the cities or whatever it might be. So I think that's definitely a problem. And we talked about it a little bit in the article of this idea of heuristics, right? These quick anchor points to make these decisions. But that's not planning, right? That's just figuring out um, how to off the cuff decide what to do. Planning's not, uh, Leslie, I'm sorry, you can plug your ears, but planning's not super fun. It's not what, what everybody, what? <laughs> it's not what everybody wants to do. <laughs> but in order to achieve some of these things we're talking about, y- you have to do some planning. Um, and then once you do the planning, uh, you know, knowledge is power, just this idea of awareness. I mean, that's what I wrote about in the conclusion. I, I didn't write this article to say I'm going to solve your problem with surplus. I wrote this article to say, hey, you should be aware of it. Because if you are somebody that potentially has these symptoms of uh, an income statement with surplus or a balance sheet with surplus, then there's a solution. You got to do some planning. Yeah, I think it's true. Uh, financial planning is more a necessity than a fun exercise. And it takes also a lot of work for clients to go through this exercise and it can be also draining as far as stress stress inducing for some people. So I understand that uh, it's not the number one thought on people's mind, but it's really important as far as uh, having another person that helps you um, or that looks into your situation from another standpoint and can kind of assess where you stand. It's hard for yourself to kind of look at your own situation and, and make adjustments to what you're doing, it's it's very tough. So it's that's why it's I think it's important to work with your advisor to do that, and um, or start thinking about what are your goals and what you would like to do yourself as a first step. Yeah, that's a great point. Having a fresh set of eyes look at your circumstance. You know, oftentimes uh, you you've been making the same decisions at the same like like uh, Trevor said. You know, bad habits are hard to break, and good habits can be hard to break. And letting them know that maybe we should consider a different option here, and maybe it is okay to spend a little bit. And then at least, hopefully, that uh, that triggers something, gets you know the right type of uh, behavior, or at least a change. Yeah, I just want to confirm that we don't think that everything should be safe for future expenses and or future goals. I'm a big believer of balancing your life and enjoying today, but also planning to enjoy tomorrow, so you can keep that constant totally. enjoyment. Yeah, and the, on that point, uh, we talk about what we're talking about a lot is saying like, oh, this feels like the hard path or the hard decision. It actually, if you think about it, it's the easy decision because um, your savings becomes a lot smaller if you can do it for a long time. It becomes more difficult or like I said, that hill climb becomes more steep when you try to start at a later date. So doing some planning um, and kind of mapping these things out actually should open up the resources to spend more today um, because the the savings rates can be a little bit smaller. Um, well, I'm going to go around the horn real quick and give everybody an opportunity to give yeah. final thoughts, and then I'll do a little recap. Dea, any final thoughts that you want to share? Yeah, uh, just going back to something that Leslie said is, uh, you know, we're not advocating you stash everything away for uh, you know for the next 40 years. Uh, we want you you want enjoyment today, and really, it's about maximizing the time-weighted enjoyment over your entire life, which is uh, what the planning process is trying, is, is attempting to do. And planning significantly increases 
the likelihood that that uh, time-weighted enjoyment over your life will be maximized. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I like the term that you use, a personal CFO. Like all companies have CFOs. I think people need CFOs for their own lives. Yeah, because it's this idea that uh, whether you're a business or an individual, as Dea highlighted, they're very different, but there is capital allocation decisions to be made. And that's a fancy financial firm. All I'm saying is that the leftovers have to go somewhere. And exactly. the, the decision maker for where those leftovers go are you. You're going to decide that. Um, and that's a huge responsibility. Uh, one of the quotes I mentioned in the article, which is comical in a sense, or it's comic book oriented, um, is that uh, when Uncle Ben, uh, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben says to Peter Parker, Spider-Man, he says, uh, with um, great power comes great responsibility. And I kind of uh, rehashed that for this article to say with great surplus comes great responsibility. And I know that from experience because... Um, We've talked a lot about a surplus on an income statement, but we do talk about a lot of clients that have a, a surplus on their balance sheet. And that can be sometimes an overwhelming conversation to have because guess what? They've done a great job saving, like Dea said, but they worked hard and by the, spread, with the sweat of their brow, they've built this accumulated wealth and they don't want to hinder their children and mm. how they pass that down and uh, how they do the estate planning around it and the legacy, which somebody's legacy is extremely important to them. Sometimes that conversation is hard to even open up because it feels overwhelming. Mm. So the point that we're trying to make today is that conversations can go a long way. Awareness can go a long way. And it starts with getting some sort of measuring stick to see where you're at, whether you're in a deficit or surplus. And from that point, you can start to do some planning that's really impactful. So we'll wrap it up there. Um, I will ask that you rate the podcast. Five stars is preferred, but whatever your preference. Um, leave comments. Uh, we would love to hear from you. You can email tom at thebonsagroup.com. You can address that to Dea or Leslie or Trevor. Uh, they can be questions. They can be compliments. They can be criticisms, uh, or they can be ideas of what you would like to hear on future podcasts. Uh, regardless, we would love to hear from you. And, of course, we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. 
This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.